I took what could have been an absolutely fine trade where, you know, you've traded before. It's perfectly normal and within your trading plan to put on a trade, see it's not going your way, cut your loss, move on. Maybe even go the opposite direction. But I took what could have been a, a normal tiny loser and I let it turn into the biggest loser I've ever had and one where I've lost tons of sleep, tons of stress while on vacation at Disney World with my family. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever, stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you got to reduce it. My name is Andrew Stotts of A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guest, Christopher Yule. Christopher, are you ready to rock? Yeah, let's do this. All right, let's have some fun. I'm gonna tell the audience a little bit about you. After graduating from college at potentially the worst time in recent history, Christopher, or I'm gonna call you Chris from now on, began his decade-long career in the world of corporate finance, having become a certified management accountant and yet feeling unfulfilled with corporate life. Hmm. A lot of people out there probably be in that situation. He decided to follow his passion for trading stocks and options and created 10MinuteStockTrader.com in 2017. There he teaches aspiring traders how to manage a stock and option portfolio in only a few minutes a day through his free courses and access to his completely open and transparent portfolio. In 2018, Christopher created the How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast, a top 25 investing podcast. The Daily Podcast is dedicated to teaching the tools, tips, and tricks to help his growing audience trade faster and trade smarter. Finally, Christopher was awarded the honor to be in the top 100 people in finance by Redwood Media Group. Christopher is following his passions and using the power of the internet to generate multiple streams of income while continuing to expand his influence and network. Whoa, Chris, take a minute and fill in any further tidbits about your life. Well, first, thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. It's, it's always fun to be on this side of the uh, podcast here. First, I love to share my story about getting into trading. And the reason that I created 10MinuteStockTrader.com was kind of like a blog. I, I wasn't able to download anything like a broker platform on my work computer during the day. And of course, I have to trade at work because I can't really do much outside of work because I'm stuck in corporate finance, right? So I got an iPad and I got a data plan and I'm like, I'm going to trade from my iPad. So I would bring my iPad to work every day in my backpack and I'd slide it out and I'd do my trades and then I'd, I'd put it away. And I was like, you know what? That's kind of funny. I only get about 10 minutes a day to trade stocks. I'm going to call myself the 10 minute stock trader. Damn. And yeah, so that's how I learned. And I feel that that was an exceptionally beneficial way. I don't have the mentality of I want to sit and stare at trading screens all day long because I never learned that mentality. And a lot of people, that's, they only think that's the way to, to trade. But if you, you set yourself up like that, you've never learned to sit in front of trade, trading screens like that. And you know exactly which buttons to push and move on with your day, move on with your life. And so, yeah, that's how 10MinuteStockTrader.com started. And it's really grown exponentially from there. It's been a great, great process. It's actually a good question that I would ask you about this, about trading, because I'm kind of a fundamental guy and I don't look at the charts that much except at the time that I'm going through my investment process. But I'm curious, when people think about trading, 
they often think about this frantic person at the computer. And I guess in that sense, what we're talking about is more of kind of a high frequency of trying to grab, you know, little anomalies in the market versus what you're talking about. It sounds like you're more like setting positions and then those, letting those positions work over longer than a few minutes. How would you yes. describe like the two? So a lot of people call that swing trading, but I trade mostly options. And with options, you have this thing called time decay, theta. And whenever you sell an option, you have theta, time decay working in your favor. If you're buying an option, you have the opposite. Time is working against you. And you can have options that literally expire worthless. So this trade that you've just been on is now worth zero dollars. And options can be a really scary game if you don't know what you're doing. In fact, whenever I first started trading, I lost two thirds of my account in the first 60 days of trading. And that's because I had no idea what I was doing, but I sure was ready to, to put some money behind that. And this wasn't even my worst investment story. This is just another story that I learned from. I had to break the news to my wife one day and I'll never forget, we're driving down the road. I was like, listen, I gotta tell you something. I lost a lot of money trading stocks. And she's like, how much? And I was like, well, two thirds of the account. And she's like, what? What are you talking about two thirds of the account? And she's like, can't you learn how to trade with fake money? And I was like, oh yeah, there is paper trading. I guess I should have learned that way. <laughs> she didn't say so, to you, go back and get that. Yeah, well, you know what? There's always a huge risk of doubling up and losing even more kind of deal. So yeah. thankfully she was smart enough to know not to go that route. But yeah, that's when I first started trading. And I, I hung up my trading uh, hat for a while and I just sat and learned as much as I could. And then I got back into the game after that. Got it. Okay. Well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Sure. So this is last summer, summer 2018. 10-minute stock traders up and running. Things are going well. I was looking for trades. And historically, when I had worked with other traders, people I'd learned from my previous trading style, it was to be a contrarian trader. So let's say, Andrew, that you like corn. So you're gonna go long corn. And I'm gonna say, you know what, Andrew, I don't think you know what you're talking about. I'm gonna go short corn. Or whatever the case may be, right? And so last summer, if anyone wanted to pull it up, gold was doing pretty terribly. I mean, gold was in a, a beautiful downtrend. I mean, glorious, if you trend traded, you would have made so much money. But I thought I knew better. This is where the beginning of all my problems started. So I'm looking for trades. I look at gold. Gold has a high implied volatility rank. And whenever you're selling options, one of the things that you look for is high implied volatility rank. You want to sell something when it's priced like a Mercedes and then buy it back when it's priced like a Hyundai, right? But it's the same security. So I'm looking for all these Mercedeses that I can sell. And I look and I find gold. And I'm like, hey, gold's got a high implied volatility rank. Things are looking good. Gold's been going down. This has got to be the bottom. I'm going to go long gold. That was my first mistake <laughs> is saying, you know, just because this is one way, I should go and go the opposite way for no other reason than just my style of trading, which I have since completely scrapped. But in that, I then went on to Twitter, which is a terrible idea. And I've learned a lot from this and tried to find as much reinforcement as I could, right? Try to find all the people that are long gold. So I was long GLD and I was long GDX and I was long GDXJ and percentage wise in my account, I think it was over 60% of my account that I put long gold 
yeah, I, I can see like, yeah, that was a terrible choice. I know, I know it was a terrible choice, but I was really, really excited about it. And then this, I, I funny too, I meant to put two contracts in on this one particular thing and it went in in four. I must have fat fingered it on accident. And I was like, it'll be fine. I'm just going to leave four on there. Don't worry about it. So then I troll in Twitter every day, making sure, you know, everyone in the Twitter sphere agrees with my gold position, even though gold is going down every single day. I have so much overconfidence in uh, thinking that I knew better than the market when literally the market is saying it's going this way. Hey, stupid, you're, the, the market's going this way. Go with it. And I've told this story a hundred times on my podcast, the, the How True Stocks and Options show, but I've never gone into the detail of it. I have all these contracts on going multiple different uh, directions to the, the way the market's going. I'm looking at saying, I have picked the bottom. It is going to go up from here. And then I go on vacation and I get some text messages from people that, you know, subscribe to the service and they're like, hey, how's things going? And I'm like, oh, things are going great. Hitting all time highs in the account. Everything's wonderful. And then as I'm on vacation, like I just pull up my phone one day because, you know, we're all degenerates and we never actually stop looking at the market even when we're on vacation. And I see that gold like plummeted $20 at, I think it was $22 that day. It was like a 2% move or something. I'm like, no, that, that can't be right. And so I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm, you know, sitting in the hotel in Orlando. We're about to head out to Disney World. I'm like, oh, geez, did I just do something wrong? And yeah, I did something really wrong. And then the worst part about it was, you know, I'm on vacation. I'm not going to deal with it. But in the back of my mind, it's like, oh, what have you done? You know, and it's always there. We get home. I'm watching it. Gold's going from about $1,300 an ounce. And it's hit $1,250. And it's at $1,200. And this guy has held his position the entire time. And then gold's hitting $1,180 and $1,160. And then at some point, I'm like, oh, my God, I have to stop. This bleeding has gone on for far too long. And I, I cut my losses and I'm like, what have I done? Because at this point, right, I've got, I mean, I've been trading for nine years at this, this point. And I don't know why, for some reason, I just decided that now was the time where I was ready to go 60% of my account, which was way, way, way too much. I decided to look to Twitter for trade confirmation, right? Confirmation bias or recency bias or whatever you want to call it. And then like I'm on vacation and I'm just letting things go and I get back. And rather than cutting my losses, rather than having a stop loss in place, I'm just like, I'm going to let this thing play out. I think the market's going to go higher, even though there's absolutely no reason for it to turn around. I took what could have been a, an absolutely fine trade where you know, you've traded before, it's perfectly normal and within your trading plan to put on a trade, see it's not going your way, cut your loss, move on. Maybe even go the opposite direction. But I took what could have been a, a normal tiny loser and I let it turn into the biggest loser I've ever had and one where I've lost tons of sleep, tons of stress while on vacation at Disney World with my family. And, and you, by and the way, did you tell your, did your wife know what was going on or did you not share know. it with her? Be, be, be quiet. She still doesn't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, but in all reality, I mean, like I didn't tell her at the time. And I mean, it, it was only later that I was really like, you know, I've, I did it again. Right. And I, I don't know any trader who hasn't blown up their account at least once. And so I've done it two times, at least maybe a third, if you want to count that one. But it's a very humbling and humiliating experience. But because of that, 
And because I know that a lot of people look to me for experience and advice and things like that, I have decided that rather than hiding that and being ashamed of it, I want to share that with as many people as possible. So that's why I talk about it a lot. I talk about it on my podcast all the time. And then I have all these lessons that I learned from it. There's a couple of things that I want to mention before we do go into the lessons that you did learn from it. But the one thing that I always highlight is uh, one of my favorite books on investing was uh, Jason Zweig's book called Your Money and Your Brain. And that book really helped me to understand that investing is a physical activity, like playing football. Mm -hmm. I was like, I didn't understand that investing and looking at the stock market and watching these things is causing emotional and physical and neurological changes in our body all the time. So I think that's one of the things that, you know, think about, and you're talking about that. But the other thing is there's also... I originally started this podcast thinking, you know, we're just going to have fun talking about stories, but actually it's a little bit of a confessional. Oh yeah. (laughs) People come and they share their story and, and you know, there's many people, you know, all kinds of different people that have come on the show. But the point is, is that some of my very good friends and others that I didn't know who are very, very senior professional people who have not really talked about that particular mistake and they have shame and guilt and other, you know, feelings about it. And, those feelings can also hold us back personally in our investment and in our life. So part of what's important about sharing the worst investment ever is that it allows us to, to basically take away that guilt and shame and pain and frustration and then be able to objectively look at it and learn from it. So let's move into that section, which is what lessons did you learn from this experience? I got my pen well, ready. Yeah, so the first thing I learned was like, what I thought was a trading plan was just me putting something on and just hoping for the best. And several of the podcast interviews that I've done uh, with other people, I've really realized I've been trading for years without a trading plan. Like what's my entries? What's my exits? Why would I enter? Why would I exit? And that's been the biggest takeaway for me, especially over the last couple months or so with these particular podcast interviews that I've done is finding better tools that better fit my personality So for example, like I was saying earlier, it could have been a trade where I just cut my losses early and that's now something I do, right? Let's say if I wanted something to go up to a hundred from 105 and it starts going down to 98, 97, I can cut my loss. It is perfectly fine to have a loss, perfectly fine, but you want to have small losers and big winners. And that's really how you, you know, profit in the stock market and just really anything overall. Right. But I had let my ego go too far. And that was one of my biggest takeaways is I didn't objectively look at any chart or any set of circumstances and say, Chris, you are incorrect. You need to change course. And I had so much ego and personal bias wrapped up into this trade. And since then, like I completely changed my trading plan in that way where it's, I can have tiny losers, no big deal, but I am never going to start and object and wrap my personality and my, my self-worth into these trades. Cause there, there have been so many times I lost sleep thinking about how awful I did, how awful of a person I am. And then to having right size mitigation on that too. Right. So like I said earlier, it went in with four contracts when I meant to do two on accident and I was like, whatever, it'll be fine. And now it's like, no, stop. That's the wrong mentality. You have a set of risk parameters in place. You're not adhering to your own rules 
And if you're not adhering to your own rules, who else is, right? How are you going to be able to, to hold yourself accountable whenever things are, are going out of control like this? And then really, like the most of all of the things that I took away was there is no reason to think that you or me or anyone else can pick a bottom. You cannot just decide you will be the contrarian person. Like, take it broader than just the stock market. You can't tell me when the recession is going to hit. You can't tell me when Lehman Brothers is going to collapse. You don't know that. And so if you're betting against those things happening, you're going to be the one sitting there. I say this example all the time. You're the one sitting there lying on the track watching as the, the train comes towards you saying, it's going to stop. It's going to turn around. It's going to stop. It's going to turn around. But yet that train's still coming. So there's no reason to think that you're smart enough to have picked that bottom. You got to be able to see what's going on and to reverse the course. If you have made the wrong choice, be true to yourself, figure out that you are wrong and make adjustments and move on. Got it. So yeah, that was overall my biggest thing to take away is there's no reason to just fight a trend when you can just jump in the train and, and be good with your life. Yeah. <laughs> you just got to step right off the train tracks and it's all exactly. solved. Okay. Let me summarize some of what I take away from your story. The first thing is I'm going to go to my bookshelf here for a second. Sure. One moment. This is my uh, PhD dissertation. It's entitled, I had made a really nice title, but my professor, he said, you got to make something a little more academic than that. So his title that he came out was an empirical study of financial analysts earnings forecast accuracy. Okay. My title was analysts are only wrong by 25%. <laughs> the research that I did basically, uh, I looked at all companies across the whole world. I looked at all analysts across the whole world. I looked at them about 13 years back because going beyond that, the data just isn't really that great. What I found was that analysts would generally forecast that a company would make 125 and then the company would end up making 100. So they were optimistic by 25%. But why am I raising this? Because also analysts have almost no ability at picking the trend reversals. So at the time that the market flies, the time that the market crashes, analysts are nowhere to be found. They do not predict those. And so it's a good reminder and it's a good takeaway from your story to be extra cautious when you're thinking that you're calling a trend reversal. So that's my first takeaway that I get from it. The second takeaway, I'm going to tell you a story. I was thinking about building a house. So I went to my friend who was an architect and I said, hey, can you help me build this house? And they said, sure, that's my job. I can design it and everything. I said, uh, and then I went to my friend who's a builder and I said, hey, can you help me build this house? Sure. So then I said to them, you know, uh, well, let's get together and I can tell you what I want. And they, they said, okay, great. And I said, yeah, I don't know, you know, medium sized house. They're like uh, medium, like how many square feet or how many square meters? I don't know what's the average, you know, house, you know, I don't know. And how many uh, rooms? Well, you know, I don't know, a few rooms, maybe three bedrooms or this or that. And then I went through this vague description of what I wanted. And then I said, so when do we start? And they said, well, actually, we have to have a plan first. Why can't we just start? Just start building. Well, actually, Andrew, that's not the way a professional works. An architect has to come up with the exact drawings. Well, can't we just draw like a sketch? No, no. It has to be measured, Andrew. The builder cannot start building until the plan is 100% complete. Yes, there may be some modifications along the way, but they won't start until that process is done. And, uh, of course, I'm making this up. But the point that I'm trying to get across is that most professions that are serious professions never start doing something without a plan. 
And yet many people in the stock market, beginners and experienced people at times, just walk in with no plan and just throw money at it. So that's the second thing I take away is the importance of a plan. Now I'm going to highlight over the time of this podcast, I've learned so much from yourself and my other guests that I came up with six steps to investing that make sense to me from what I learned. Number one, find the investment idea. Number two, so in gold. Number two, research the return. Okay, what's the potential upside? Why am I so excited about this? Number three, assess the risk. Number four, create an investment plan. Number five, execute the plan because I've learned from some guests that they actually had really good ideas and they just missed the opportunity. And then number six is monitor the progress of that plan. Of course, in any good plan, you have your exits and what your you know, risk management is. The key to that thing, you may say, well, Andrew, that's kind of a typical process that you'd hear. The key to it is the separation of, of researching the return and assessing the risk. So what I try to do is teach myself to be a Jekyll and Hyde. Let me get excited about the return. But then at some point, I'm going to stop the research on the return, and then I'm going to turn my attention to the research on the risk. And that's a key learning that I've taken away from all of my interviews. And I think that when it all kind of gets jumbled together, sometimes we can miss that. So I think that's the, the one thing that I would really highlight to the listeners out there on planning and setting a plan. And then, of course, trend reversals are very, very, very rarely picked. And you could argue, yeah, but my friend picked a trend reversal. He made a lot of money. Could you prove whether that was not luck? Mm -hmm. Very difficult to prove that. Right. So maybe you're just observing a random outcome, which is what most outcomes actually are in life. Maybe you're just observing a random outcome and you're attributing skill to it. And therefore you're thinking that you're going to be able to call that trend reversal. So those are some of my takeaways, but any thoughts on those? No, I agree with you. I mean, I think that people should put more emphasis on the risk mitigation, right? Because there's always going to be the conversation that you have with your wife, <laughs> even though you don't want to, even though you're dreading it. You know, you've, you've got to have that conversation with somebody else and say, you know what, this is what happened. This is why it happened. And then their first question is, how did you let this happen? And then being able to understand the risk that you had associated with it and then what you did or did not do, you know, that's going to determine how that conversation goes. So, Chris, I think we've come up with a new idea here. Find your fantastic return and your fantastic idea and then write up your risk management and mitigation plan and bring it to your wife. Exactly. <laughs> Get her <laughs> approval. <laughs> and if it passed the wife test, then go trade it. Listen, I don't know if your wife or anyone else's wife is like mine, but she has got to be the most conservative person in the world as far as risk-taking goes. So if you can convince her that it's a good idea, then by all means, I think it's set. But, you know, she's been very supportive in my journey. I mean, she's had to, uh, to close her eyes and kind of just trust that things are going in the right way a few times. And then, then there's been a couple of moments where she's like, why are you doing this? But, you know, there's the light at the end of the bigger picture that sometimes you just got to look past the, uh, the small day-to-day -day issues. Yeah. Well, investing in the stock market, as I always used to say when, when I was at my job in the past, was it's a roller coaster. And some people decide that they're going to be right on the front car of the roller coaster. <laughs> and people who are trading and really, really focused on the market, man, it can drive you up and down like crazy. So now, let's wrap this up in, up in a little bow. Based sure. on what you've learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action, I'm going to challenge you here, one action, okay. would you recommend our listeners take 
to avoid suffering the same fate? Take the time to make a comprehensive plan, similar to your architecture example, of entry and exit, and then hold yourself accountable to that plan. That's the one thing. Make a plan and be specific with that plan. That's fantastic. I love it. And it's very concrete. So listeners out there, now you know, you've heard it from Chris, from myself, write your plan starting from today. And if you're already writing your plan, congratulations. That's a big, big step. Majority of people don't write these things down. So well done. Well, last question, Chris, what's your number one goal for the next 12 months? Ooh, that's really hard. Andrew and I were talking beforehand on the, uh, the podcast here. I have nine goals that I'm working on. And one of the things that I do is every morning, I have, I have a whiteboard beside my bed and I've written down my goals. So every night when I go to bed, I read my goals. Every morning when I get up, I read my goals. As I'm getting ready for the day, I get a note card and I write down my goal. And then I write down all nine of them. And then I draw a line across the bottom there. And then I write down one action I could do every day for each one of those nine goals to move them closer to fruition. And then I keep that note card in my pocket. And so as I go through the day, I might reach down into my pocket to grab some keys or grab some coins. And then I might feel that note card and I'll pull it out. And I'll say, oh, I could do this really quick or reach down and pull up my phone. And instead of scrolling on social media, say, oh, I, I could make this action happen really quick. And most everything I do, I can do from my phone. It just takes time and it takes a, a portion of my day and I have to set that aside. But if I get that constant reminder, hey, these are your goals. This is something you can do today to move closer to that goal. Man, it's, that's been the biggest change for me over, over 2019 so far. I mean, my goals are coming more and more clear every day because I'm taking those actions every day to make them happen. Great stuff. It's great stuff. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes, and resources to help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestmentever.com. Now, as we wrap up, Chris, thank you again for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers, but our listeners are learning to win as a result. Do you have any parting words for the audience? You know what? Life can be so much fun. Life can give you so many opportunities. And don't be scared of the opportunities. Take the opportunities while you are given to them, but have a plan in case the opportunities don't work out. Fantastic. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our wealth. And I'm going to call this one, write it down. Fellow risk takers, I'll see you on the upside.